everybody, and welcome to a special episode of the Partial Historians Meets the Life of Caesar, Caesar podcast. I am Dr. Rad, and to my left is... Dr. G. Welcome, everyone. And above us, in a state not too far away, we have... Uh, Dr. Cam. Um, not really a doctor, kind of like Dr. Nick, a doctor, <laughs> um, so just call me Cam, but take two of these and call me in the morning if it doesn't get any better. Hi, Dr. Cam. These two pills are for history, and today's medicine is all about Tiberius. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> Well, um, thanks for uh, doing a podcast with me. Um, it's nice to be talking to Australians for a change. Um, you know, much, uh, obviously, generally, much higher intelligence and of, uh, <laughs> much better senses of humour than our counterparts across the pond. Um, we can, we can um, really hit those accent notes correctly on the on the nicknames you've developed, you know, for good old yes. Tibbo. For Tibbo. <laughs> Tibbo. Yeah, so we're going to talk about Tibbo today. And as I understand it, uh, you, uh, uh, one of you is pro Tibo, the other is anti Tibo. Yes. Um, yes, Dr. Rad. Hi, everybody. I am. My name is Dr. Rad, and I am a Tiberius fan. You're on the twelve-step program. I am. I am. <laughs> <laughs> we admitted we were powerless over Tibo; oh. that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, and and I I don't really have a view on Tibbo, but uh, we're about Ray and I for our listeners know that we're about halfway through a linear timeline, uh, and and so I'm interested to get your your perspective, seeing as you both actually have an education, something that well Ray claims to have a degree in history, <laughs> but I think he got it out of a cornflakes packet, quite honestly. Um, so I'm interested to get your respective. Uh, perspectives, the respective perspectives ah. on Thibaut, pro and against. Right. So, uh, who, you know, from from where I'm at with Thibaut, it seems to me like he has been reluctant pretty much all the way along, um, and and generally gets to a point where he's just like, "Fuck it, I'm going to go build a sex dungeon." Um, <laughs> I'm I'm interested in. Uh, well, well, first of all, who's Doctor Doctor Fiona? You're the you're the pro Thibaut half of the duo? I am, I am. I know it's a controversial opinion. Dr. G over here is much more of a fan of Augustus, but who I hate because I see him as the reason for Tiberius's unhappiness. <laughs> I, I, think, right. I think of Tiberius's life as like a country song. And I, I just can't help but feel very, very sorry for him. And so Augustus shot his dog and stole his wife and his pickup. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> he told he him did actually he, tell him to get rid of his wife. He did, yeah. So he was yeah. the one that told okay. him there's no more dancing in this country town. The teenagers aren't allowed to do that anymore. He he took everything from Tiberius. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Okay. Yeah. So tell so why don't we start by you telling us why you're a big fan of Tiberius? Well, I kind of see him as being a very traditional Roman. Um, and I, I kind of see him as stuck between two worlds. I think he's a, a sort of Republican at heart who's forced to take on responsibility. And because he's so pious, because he has so much duty to his family, he keeps mm. taking on these roles. Dr. G's mocking me with her hands right now. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he, he, he keeps taking on these roles. He does what he should, you know, duty-wise for Augustus. And that ends up really screwing him over. And so I just, um, I, I, I can't help but going after a man like that, especially after the story that is recorded in the ancient sources of him gazing longingly when he sees the wife that he was made to divorce across the market. And now he has to be gently led away by people around him going, come on, 
come on, Tiberius, come on. <laughs> I feel like the, if you, the only way that you can generate sympathy for this guy is by saying, look, he looks fondly upon his first wife. Oh. It's maybe not enough to get this guy over the line. I raise you know my what? hand, I'm the anti-Tibbo. You're being a dick. <laughs> yeah, listen, the one of the we have we have basically three rules on our show. One is never accept an invitation to a banquet in your honor. because <laughs> um, you're bound to get assassinated. Number two is don't make me pull a sulla. Number three is D back. <laughs> don't be a C word. I'm not going to say for your audience. I don't know how sensitive your audience is. Uh, I don't know if the levels of swearing are as high in your audience. We, but we, tell we us. We do have our special. Our special favorite apparently is douche. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Yeah. That's, that's that's fairly light in our world. Yeah. Um, yeah no, Vipsania. He he does, uh, and then he has to deal with her husband, who's a senator. Her next husband. I know. I know. He does not like him. It doesn't go well. <laughs> no, do, doesn't go well for him. Certainly in the end. So, um, look, I, I agree with you that uh, he kind of uh, had his life ruined in many ways by Augustus, but, but then he he's, his whole he's rich life, and powerful. His whole life is owed to Augustus. Yeah. Oh, let's, I, yes. Let's pause right there. Oh. All right, fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, by all means, let's, like, fly, like, like Augustus can get the whip. Yeah. All right, for yeah. like the things that ruined Tiberius's life. Yeah, but Tiberius wouldn't have had a life at all if it wasn't for Augustus. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to keep this in I'm mind. I'm sorry. As was well. he his father? Was he his biological father? <laughs> I'm going to get technical on you. No, no, he was not. No, <laughs> he was not. But who takes that young boy under his wing? After once he's he stolen his Olivia, mother. Once he's stolen his mother. While she's six months pregnant. <laughs> I think a guy who's willing to take on a woman who's already got a ship on board, etc., etc. That's why he took her on. <laughs> Because he needed a son. <laughs> and then looks after those two boys, raises them as if they were his he own. He did not, and you know it. <laughs> he doesn't treat his own children very well either, we might add. He only took an interest in them when it was clear that there was no son forthcoming, and you know it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Tiberius gets his whole career through Augustus. He is elevated early beyond the age constraint. He's still an elite Roman. He would have had a career regardless. Yeah, but that's different to the career he gets. And the career he gets leads him to being the Imperator and the Princeps of Rome. Yeah, eventually. But he has to <laughs> suffer through all the heartache. And I don't think he really wanted to be Princeps of oh, Rome. I'm not going to feel sorry for a guy who gets accused of using small babies before they're weaned to look after his business downstairs. Total gossip. <laughs> Total gossip. And you know it. You know it. It's in Suetonians. <laughs> I'm, I've got source material for this. Yeah. <laughs> so, Cameron, I know I know you said that uh, Tiberius built a sex dungeon. Do you seriously believe in the sex dungeon stories? <laughs> I want to believe in them. Um, you know, a man's got to have ambition. Um, like, you know, I, let, let's go back to the Vipsania thing. So I was having yeah. this um, discussion with somebody on Facebook the other day. Do you think the idea of uh, romantic love was a thing uh, at all in the early first century CE, uh, particularly for the Roman elite. When did the idea of romantic love really get invented? I think you could actually read these stories of the romantic love that Tiberius has for Vipsania as a critique of him in source material, because this is not how... Roman matches work, not at a level of the patrician class. 
Um, they're political. That's it. The fact that Tiberius has these feelings is uh, is a criticism. Um, he's supposed to move on. He's supposed to do his job. And reputedly, Julia was interested in him before he even had the divorce come through. So <laughs> she was up for it. Um, this issue of romantic love, it's not impossible, but it's not considered to be necessary in any way whatsoever well, to the machinations. I kind of think as well that you would believe in this, Dr. G, because after all, we've spoken about this relationship a number of times, but Augustus and Livia, I'm going to put it out there. He obviously is interested in her because she's an elite, she's fertile, she's produced, you know, she's produced unsuccessfully, he is lacking in that department. But there seems to be something more going on because once it turns out that there's a no, no, sp- no flames to that fire, um, they stick together for decades and he could have easily just divorced her and found someone else. Yeah, but I think Augustus plays by his own rules and he forces everybody else to play by those same rules. And the things that are Thank good you. The things, Thank you. the things that are good for him are not necessarily the things that are good for him. No, but I'm just saying else. in terms of romantic love existing. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean I think that's I think that's a genuine case. But I also think that by representing Tiberius as having feelings, it's a criticism. Yeah. What do you what do you think, Cam? Have you uh, read Augustus and Livia's relationship? Do you see it as romantic or yeah, no, that's a fascinating one. I mean, they obviously did stick together and they seemed to travel uh, a lot. She would accompany him a lot, uh, particularly in the later years. I I, I, I mean, I, I can't read any romance into it, honestly. I think it was uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton to a certain extent. <laughs> I think it was... I think it was not. Look, I think they got along with each other. I think they understood each other. Um, I think he probably. Um, well, we know he used to deflower, uh, deflower young maidens. That's in one of the sources. I remember we had a lot of fun with the word deflower for a long time <laughs> after that. Um, so he was still banging hot young things all over the place well into late age. Yeah. Certainly wasn't. There wasn't sexual fidelity there, and. I don't think anyone expected that of Augustus or any other patrician male at the time. Just, you know, have it with sex with the right people um, in the right ways. Um, so I, I don't think it was love as we think of it today. No, not as we think no, of that it. No, I don't think that existed at that. I think Petrarch kind of invented that 1,300 years later. Mm, Anywho, yeah. um, let's get back to Thibaut. Yeah. So... Yes, I, I, look, I agree that he probably... I mean, even though he's got a Claudian uh, ancestry, where things were at after the Second Triumvirate, uh, if, if Augustus hadn't uh, fancied his mother, then he probably didn't have the brightest of careers ahead of him. But he does seem to be like a bit of a mopey, whiny little bitch. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. For a lot of that time, right? <laughs> Like he, it went, when it seems evident that Agrippa's boys, uh, Julia's boys, are going to really be the heirs to the throne, he just takes his bat and his ball and he fucks off into self-exile. Oh, yeah. He goes on a bit of a hissy fit about that and then organises for them to be done away with on some level. Well, okay, excuse It's not like... I don't think he's not responsible for their death. <laughs> that, that's stretching. Oh no, I'm thinking about Germanicus's son. I was going to say, I, he was yeah, I was going to say, he's not responsible for that. Um, but yeah, he, no, he, he just does. Go to Rhodes. He does, but I see again. I kind of see that with Augustus always. Like, Tiberius is one of those people that helps Augustus set himself up well and be regarded well because he does the kind of stuff that Augustus doesn't seem to be particularly good at himself. Tiberius is an mm. awesome general. 
Mm-hmm. And, and he does a good job in that area. And I think that he doesn't like the fact that Augustus, I think Augustus underappreciated him. Uh, I think he, sure, he promoted him, yes, because he's Livia's son and he's part of the family and whatever. But I think he constantly passed him over for people with that direct Julian bloodline. And he did do that. You can't deny it. <laughs> oh, I have no intention of yeah. doing so. I think it was the right decision. And it's a real shame that he ended up being the print cat. Oh. oh. Uh, it's, I've it's... got a slight in my criticisms where I can right now. <laughs> it's, it's hard to tell. Like, if you read uh, Tacitus, for example, Tacitus paints... Thibaut out as being a real party pooper just not <laughs> doesn't like the people doesn't like his job doesn't like anybody doesn't like his mother um doesn't like Julia probably for good reason um so but but again it, you know we have to keep in mind that we can't really take Tacitus at face value either he's he's writing at a particular time with a particular political intent is he deliberately trying to bad mouth the Julio Claudians from Tacitus onwards yes he is (laughs) yeah in that narrative it seems pretty clear that the favored figure is Germanicus and part of the way that Tacitus structures that history is to avoid talking about Tiberius when he really could um, and instead focusing on the campaigns that Germanicus is involved in. Yeah, but what's the thing that Germanicus has going for him that no other Julia Claudian does at this time? He never became princeps. So he doesn't mm. He doesn't do the Batman thing where he lives long enough to see himself become the villain. Mm. <laughs> All superhero references. I like where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's why Germanicus is allowed to be the hero because he dies prematurely. Um, mm. Tiberius, on the other hand, lives, lives long enough lives long enough to see himself become the bad guy. And I think Tacitus also has some problems with the fact that, one, he really wants it to still be a republic. That's his first wish. Yeah. And the fact that Tiberius, in the guise of um, Princeps, or in the actuality of Princeps, is trying to build consensus politics with the Senate, uh, just makes him infuriated. We're like, well, we should just have a republic. Like, this is the whole point. Well, see, this is where you should like him, Dr. G, because Augustus worked for so long to set up this new system, and really, it's Tiberius that makes sure it's a success because he's the one that sees it through the rough patch of Augustus dying after decades and decades sees of dominating. Sees it through the rough patch. Yeah, he does. He does. It could have all fallen t- apart. He turns around to the Senate and says, "Let's all work together." And they're so out of characteristic of being able to do that because Augustus mm. has trained them to not be a functional Senate that mm. they just like, well, no, you're you're the princeps now. You make mm. the decision. And Tiberius is like, well, guess what, guys? I need to go on another trip. <laughs> mm. Mm. Hang on a second. He doesn't go anywhere. He stays in Rome for a while. For a while. For, for, yeah, for right. a while. For a long while. For over a decade. Yeah, no. Thank you very much. <laughs> sex dungeons. Sex dungeons don't build themselves. That's right. They take yeah. a lot of lot of planning, a lot of work, a lot of chains exactly. have to be bought. And he's not going to move until it's all complete. Suits. Exactly. <laughs> Nothing worse than a half-built sex dungeon. Like we all know that from experience. So um, the thing with the Senate is fascinating. You know, we, we were talking this week in our series about um, mm, yes. uh, ta- Tacferinus or Taco, <laughs> um, the, the the rise again of Taco, and, and Thibaut turns to the Senate. He says, listen, I'm sex dungeoning. Can you appoint someone to go and deal with this? And they wet themselves and, and say, no, no, we can't do that. Um, so... You know, whose fault is that, though? You, you're blaming Augustus, and I understand why, because he's basically hamstrung 
the Senate for two generations. Um, but these are these are these are Romans. Why can't they stand up and pull their big boy pants on and get the job done? Because they've been, I, I think this is part of the issue of this transference from Republic to Empire, and it's still a teething job. And Tiberius has inherited this system that works with Augustus's personality. Mm. And, and I think this is the real issue, is that Tiberius is getting perhaps unfairly maligned in some of our source material. Thank that, you. Thank you. My confession. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> because he's a different personality. Um, because he's not consulting the same uh, sort of personal councils that Augustus had created for himself. And he also doesn't have Augustus's background in just flushing out the Senate of the families and the people that don't work for him. Yes, that's one thing that Tiberius does, which this is the thing. It depends on how you want to read it as to whether it's his credit or not. He doesn't carry out the same level of senatorial purges that Augustus had during his reign. And he doesn't seem to... For the most for most of his reign, he doesn't take personal criticism to heart. He he's okay with people criticizing him. There's the point where he has a breakdown. There is a point, but you know what? You would too under those circumstances. Let me get to that and later. He's never quite the same after the breakdown. But yeah, he he doesn't mind personal criticism, and he hates personal flattery. It's it's just a totally different ballpark to what the kind of guy that Augustus was. I think. In, uh, in I, the I don't think I don't think Augustus was big on personal flattery either he used to shut people down yeah he used to shut people down all the time didn't he yeah but you know he doesn't mind being called the father of the fatherland he doesn't mind having you know poets singing the virtues of you know people related to him and whatnot yeah and he doesn't (laughs) mind one of his mates getting up and being like why don't we call him augustus (laughs) and he doesn't mind having his raised guest i put in bronze tablets all over the empire And he doesn't okay, mind but apart Billy from those things, <laughs> apart from those things, he was very humble. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, no, fair point, fair yeah. point. Yeah. But Augustus yeah. was, okay, so let's get back to the whole transition of the Republic to the Empire. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I read a lot of criticism still today of Augustus and his role in that. Uh, my view and, and Ray's view, because... Ray agrees with everything I say, <laughs> is that um, look, the Republic was a fucking, it was a mess. By the, the Gracchi onwards, it was a complete mess. It had broken down. It was the United States today. Nothing was working. Um, it was just a, a shadow of what it had once been. It was never perfect, but it was it, the wheels had well and truly come off, and it's very hard to see how they could have been put back on again. And Augustus has to shoulder the responsibility of rebuilding Rome in a new model that's not going to kill itself yeah. within a generation. I mean, yeah, he does, do, he, do you, do I, you I disagree with any of that? I, I give him credit for, for that. And I, I, I think the thing is, Tacitus comes in very heavy-handed with the Julia Claudians because I definitely think he has an axe to grind about the system. It's not really about them as personalities, as his main... Um, that's not his his main focus. It's really he has to go for the personalities because he's criticizing the system. But Tacitus never lived under the Republic. He has this starry-eyed, 
you know, nostalgic view of something he's never actually experienced. And I agree, the Republic wasn't working um, by the time that all this, obviously, that's why, you know, civil wars had erupted. And I think the thing is that the Republic is always a bit of a movable feast. It's never a fixed entity. You can't Mm. pin it down and be like, oh, that's the moment where the Republic was really working. It's always a work in progress. It's always shifting in the way that it operates. And all the graphy do is really reveal one of the, the, push points that hasn't really been pushed yet and and once they do that other people start looking around and be like oh wait a minute this thing's just built on layers of tradition and understanding and if i can find a gap somewhere there's also another push point and that's you get sulla you get marius you get caesar and it's not at all of a surprise i think that by the time we get to octavian as a 19 year old um that something has to give um, it's unfortunate that we have so much Cicero in this respect because he makes a big <laughs> deal about it. Um, and the Republic is this thing for him. Um, but I don't know. There's a reason. I, I think there's a reason we call him Dickero. <laughs> there's a reason his tongue ended up fans. with a hair <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, we get this situation where it's like, well, maybe what Augustus did is not necessarily the best thing for the Republic, but it is something. And he does cobble it together, but it is a cult of personality. That seems pretty clear. And the moment that you begin to really realize that is a couple of years into Tiberius's position because he's been given just about all of the same sort of legal power um, that Augustus had held. Augustus had basically transformed transferred it all to him mm-hmm. but the way he decides to deploy it is very different and that's what's upsetting people because they're not sure what the best way is to respond to this because it's out mm-hmm. of the pattern that they're now used to what do you think about the suggestion in some of the sources that augustus actually never planned for one man to have the same power after him that it should be a small council uh, to to take over. Yeah, sounds sounds like a lame lame idea. Yeah, to me. I don't agree. Yeah. He he very carefully like once it became clear after about eight um, four AD, um, it, it was pretty clear that it was going to be Tiberius, and he's I think Augustus is pretty careful um, in setting Tiberius up to have as Doctor G said all the powers that he would that he would need um, to take over if, if, and when, you know, well, not if he obviously would die somewhere. And you also see so much movement from Augustus to try and set up a family line. Yeah. And it just, you know, it just goes wrong all the time. Yeah. Um, The fact that he makes Tiberius adopt Germanicus. Yeah. He's obviously trying to make sure that even though Tiberius has to be the one to, to probably take over in the short term, he wants to make sure it comes back to the Julian bloodline in the end. But if we go back, uh, 10 years before that. We mm. go back to before Thibaut took his bat and his ball <laughs> and went off to study philosophy. Yeah. Um, there did seem to be uh, an, an effort on behalf of, of Augustus to set up, yes, a number of, of his family, um, but to have a handful of them that would be able to keep the ship moving after he died. But then they all died except Thibaut. And, <laughs> you know, he, he famously, when Thibaut comes back, gives that speech to the Senate, he's like, listen, <sighs> fuck it, I'm not very happy about this, but um, that's all we got. Uh. I got Thibaut. That, uh, look, trust me, no one 
No one's unhappier about this than I am, but I got to tell you that uh, he's the best that I got. So in the event of my death, uh, Thibaut will be uh, looking after things until Germanicus is old enough. Thank you very much. And you see, that is the tragedy of Tiberius right there. He is constantly... Even though he does everything Augustus asks of him, he's constantly given the shaft. <laughs> because how yeah. can you respect somebody who just does everything you say? Uh, I'm ah, sorry. <laughs> that's like my relationship with Ray. Yeah. Now it's all making sense. <laughs> I just have an opinion. <laughs> Jump in there. Augustus, this is part of Familias. He is doing the pious thing. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, okay. If, if he didn't do it, you'd be saying what a dick he was for not doing it. It depends on what he did instead. Oh, <laughs> I tell you what, if he'd started out being like in 14, being like, okay, guys, I've got all the power now, straight to the sex dungeon, I don't know how I feel about that, but I definitely well, have an opinion. Okay, here's a question for you, Cam. Hmm. If Tiberius had died in 26 AD, how do you think that would have affected his reputation? Uh, look, I think his reputation in Rome doesn't... Well, again, if you take Tacitus um, at his word, Tiberius wasn't very popular, uh, after, particularly after the death of Germanicus. I don't think he was ever very popular. People were comparing him to his brother. They were comparing him to Augustus. And he just didn't uh, shape up. doesn't matter how good a general he was, how sturdy an administrator he was, how loyal he was. He just seems to have been, you know, boring and, <laughs> and grumpy and not the kind of person that you want to have as your head of state. So, look, I, I, I don't think he... I mean, maybe like the whole sex dungeon Sejanus period, um, you know, we... we, we wouldn't have to point at him but if he had died who would have taken over uh sejanus would he have taken over then himself and Ooh. uh gone off in that direction which wouldn't have been a good thing okay may probably wouldn't have gone to caligula but uh i can't imagine it would have been a happy ending for any then we'd be saying well why didn't he do it? a bit like barack obama you had eight years in that case 12 yeah why didn't you do something you had control of both houses for four of those well two but why didn't you do something like you could have passed laws you could have changed you could have restored the republic you could have done all these things you did nothing i think that's what we'd be saying about Tacitus now, right? Mm, I, I, th I feel like this is uh, where Tiberius is maybe um, at the mercy of his own history in a way because he's always been set up to follow um, and he does follow and it turns out he's a great general as long as somebody else above him has the master plan. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He does He does not really go on <laughs> campaigns after he becomes princeps. Oh, did Augustus? <laughs> I'm just saying, we don't, <laughs> we don't see any evidence that he's capable of that kind of generalship after he want, comes to power. You he's 50 you didn't want five. Augustus. <laughs> you didn't want Augustus going on campaigns. He had a tendency to curl up in a little ball and put his thumb in his mouth. Exactly, thank and you. Just, and just whimper. Oh, yeah, um, well, he gets sick a lot. I mean, it's unfortunate. He's my got a poor constitution. Yeah. <laughs> um, but aside from that, so, like, Tiberius is great at these things. So you think to yourself, he's good at leading an army. He's good at directing things on a battlefield. Surely that's transferable to the political arena. But it appears like either the source material is not doing him justice for not taking a general's approach to the Senate mm. or 
he's just only good when he's got somebody above him telling him what to do. Augustus did not tell him what to do on campaigns. <laughs> there is no proof of that. <laughs> but Augustus was the one who sent him out there and said, conquer something for me, buddy. And he Pro- did it because Pro- he, your worth, he did cheeks. And he did prove his worth. Like, I don't on know numerous wanna, occasions. I don't know if I want to make you my man. You're going to have to show me. Give me something real, Thibaut. So let's, let's change track a little bit. Yeah. Um, on our show, because there are... No, no women. Um, we there are no you know, women. No, well, Ray's kind of half woman, I think. But we, you know, we we don't have a very high opinion of Julia the elder. Uh, I I tend to refer to her as Julia the slut whore, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm not trying to slut shame her, but again, according to the sources, she was fucking anything that would move in Rome <laughs> and doing it drunken and on the forum sometimes. Which I'm like, hey, more power to you, but. Do you think that uh, the the historical accounts of her are fair? Uh, has she been maligned by later historians? And and if not, how do you explain Julia's role in all of this? Ooh, oh, I, I think she probably has been unfairly maligned to a certain degree because of the nature of the source material that we have. Like, there's just no way um, with all of these male-authored sources. Um, and the way that they expect women to behave in the public arena, that they're going to give any of the Julio-Claudian women a light time. Um, so they're all up for criticism in particular ways. And it seems like what Julia does is really try to build a life for herself within the constraints that she finds herself within. So it's like there's always dad telling her what to do. Um, there's marriages that she has to make. There's the people that she has to sleep with. Um so she's like, well, you know what? I, I am a Julian. Um, maybe I will do what I want. Maybe I can't hold political power. Maybe this is my best avenue. Um, making the most of a bad situation, I would think. Yeah, I mean, she is married uh, after the, the first marriage fell apart because her husband died quite young, as tends to happen with all Julia Claudian men. Um, she was married that to was, someone older than her father. Marcellus? Yeah, yeah. Marcellus the yeah. first. Yeah. Then she gets married to Agrippa yeah. next. She's older than her father. Um, Not by much, but okay. Well, yeah, yeah but her father. No, I think it counts, you know. When you're, when you're a young girl. <laughs> look, yeah. at, look at your dad and then think, would I want to do a man older than my dad? <laughs> I mean, the answer is usually no. <laughs> old man butt. Old man butt, that's all I'm saying. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind Look, of... As an older man, I find that very <laughs> offensive, I have to say. I think Agrippa uh, was probably a little more battle. I'm not, I'm not casting aspersions upon old men in no, general. No. Just uh-huh, men, uh-huh, old men older sure, than your own father. Sure, sure. Uh, well, my father's dead, so, I mean, I, so I can't think that, about that. being married <laughs> to another corpse. Oh, yeah. goodness me. Yeah, no, I, I think Julia... I mean, look... From our source material, we, we kind of think that a lot of women in the elite circles anyway were probably carrying on in a similar way. I mean, Augustus's moral legislation suggests that women are taking a bit more back for themselves at that time period. Um, and so I kind of think Julia is perhaps a part of a group of people who are behaving in this sort of a way. But obviously the stakes are so much higher when you're the princeps only child. And how did she misread that? Like, I mean, maybe she thought he would, uh, I don't know, uh, put her in time out or, uh, <laughs> you know, something. But, I mean, he was so harsh. I think now, there is... he was untouchable. Yeah. Well, there's also a a suggestion 
in, I, I can't remember which source it is, but let's go with Tacitus, the suggestion that she was plotting a conspiracy with, I think, Marcus Antonius's son <laughs> uh, to overthrow either Augustus or whoever came after Augustus, uh, Tiberius or whatever, to, to ensure that it was her children that would uh, have the throne. Do you put any stock in the, the conspiracy theories? Um, not from my end. Um, I'd have to read more up on that, actually, because I feel like that's something that at the moment I can't speak to. I, I know that she was definitely, uh, I know that she was definitely accused of sleeping with, amongst others, Eulus Anton, Antoninus, <laughs> Antonius, um, which does seem to cast a political dimension to her, her doings. But I kind of agree that, a lot of the Julia Claudin women are accused of sleeping around in order to sort of bind men to them and therefore to their children. You know, um, Agrippina, the younger, comes up against similar criticism, as does Messalina. You know, they're all accused of sleeping around. And it's there's potentially a little bit of truth in that, in that, I guess, in that context, um, having sex with the right men could have been a way of solidifying But it, it's also part, part of a much broader narrative yeah. of attempting to, I think, control women yeah. through maligning their reputations. Yeah. Um, we're dealing with a highly patriarchal society, and the only way that um, you can place a woman back in a place if she seems to be acting outside of it, regardless of how she's acting outside of it, is to appeal to her sexual misconduct. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing is, as well, criticizing the sexual misconduct of a woman, you are criticizing the man she's connected to because she's not supposed to be allowed to get away with that kind of stuff because the man in charge of her should be stopping it from happening. So it's, it's a, I mean, and it goes all the way back, obviously, into Republican days that uh, women were attacked as a way of attacking men. It's kind of like the, the ancient version of the your mama jokes. <laughs> but she's his only child. And he casts her into exile pretty much for the rest of her life, yep. rest yep. of his life, the rest <laughs> of her life. And Aulius Antonius, Mark Antony's son, is forced to commit suicide. Yeah, he's clearly like, not happy. <laughs> this, it seems pretty fucking extreme. Now, again, everything that uh, we're led to believe about Augustus is he was fairly moderate, at least at this stage of his life. You know, he was fairly moderate. He was fairly um, disciplined with his emotions, um, didn't live a very lavish lifestyle. Okay, he built a palace, but apart from that, um, you know, he, he didn't walk around uh, acting like a crazy dictator. So this seems to me like an unusually extreme position for him to take because she was fucking around. Well, he's got to set the... I mean, this is the thing. He's set up all this moral legislation to try and control the sexual behaviours of the elite. And if he ignores what his own daughter is doing, well, then it's very much a do as I say and not as I do kind of situation. Yeah, but there's a big gap between ignoring it and sending <laughs> into exile for the rest of her life. Where not just exile, but like exile where no one's allowed to visit her. Well, like that's there's a big the gap between those two. <laughs> Mum's allowed. To Mum's allowed to come and see her. It's just mostly the men. He, it's meant to the male visitors that he's uh, mostly worried about. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, you know, I think he was happy to get Scribonia out of Rome. Quite frankly, um, you might but, read this as a broader political narrative um, coming out of the Augustan house because it's not just Augustus that's dealing with the politics of this family you've also got Livia mm. and 
there's no way that she'd be that keen on having Julia around, you would think. Mm. Um, this is something that's that's possibly a tension between Livia and Augustus. So I think there are factions within the family um, to a certain extent that are built on the different layers of marriage as well. Um, so so let's, yeah. let's talk about Livia then. So... Livia, obviously, in some of the later sources, gets accused of all manner of heinous things, including pretty much having everyone killed from Augustus on down. Um, how much stock do you put in that depiction of Livia? Oh, <laughs> Dr. G's a big Livia fan. <laughs> I think she's a savvy political player. There's no question. Um, the trouble, I think, always... Um, from my perspective, is, again, the nature of the source material. It's going to be very hard, I think, to distangle the way that she's represented as going against what is the expectations of this Roman patriarchal society versus what she may have actually done. Um, just to bring it back to Thibaut for a moment. Nice, nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> look, look at that segue. Yeah. Um, so I note that Suetonius records um, that when Livia does die... Tiberius says that he's definitely coming home to Rome from the island for the funeral. <laughs> he's going to come. And everyone delays the funeral. And her body is putrid and rotten by the time she's buried because they have to wait for him, but then he never arrives. Look, they had a very complicated relationship. <laughs> <laughs> he let his mum rot. Oh, she was like she wasn't going to do that anyway. <laughs> That's Livia's fate. And he doesn't let her get deified. Again, mm. he's very traditional. It would be unheard mm. of to have a woman deified. Tiberius himself mm. isn't even deified. <laughs> Everybody else mm. wants it. Everybody else wants it. <laughs> Bullshit. Bullshit. You can't tell me that the traditional Roman senators sitting there legitimately want Livia deified. They're just trying to kiss us as always. He would not <laughs> submit her to be deified, which suggests that somebody at least wanted it. Yes. Somebody was probably trying to flatter one of them. Although she mm. had requested it. Again! <laughs> so, so what? So what? <laughs> Can you imagine Livia writing a letter to Tiberius being like, Dear son, when I die, I would like to be deified. Yeah, and he's very traditional. Can you he'd make be like, that happen? He'd be like, no, mum, no. Dear mum, <laughs> date, Tuesday. <laughs> so just, dungeon. Just, on, just on that subject, the deification yeah. of people, I'm, uh, I'm just in, a, in the final uh, 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 weeks of finishing a documentary about early Christianity that I've been working on for the last couple of years. And I I make the point in the documentary that the deification of humans in Rome had been unheard of since Romulus uh, until Julius Caesar dies. And then Augustus says, oh, look, I saw a star shooting through the sky. That must be him. He must be a god now. Yeah. Then Augustus gets deified. Yeah. And then Jesus Christ gets deified by, <laughs> by the, well, sort of Jews, mostly probably Romans um, in the middle of the first century. So within a period of a century, you have three men that are deified, two Romans and a Jew. Um, what do you think's going on there? Why all of a sudden does it become okay for Romans to, to deify uh, humans. How did that get started all of a sudden? 
Oh, I think this is this speaks very much to Octavian's um, difficult position in in the wake of Caesar's assassination. Mm. Like it's it's definitely a political move, the elevation of Caesar to a to a deity, mm. um, and it's about shoring up Augustus's own position, uh, Octavian at that point, and like he's nineteen. The other two guys who are sort of swilling around are much older, more established power players. He doesn't have much to go on. And he starts to make a claim very early on, once the will is revealed, um, that he is Caesar, the son of Caesar. Um, so he changes his whole nomenclature outside of like the Roman system traditionally in order to play down the adoptive element and to play up the I'm now the son of Caesar. And Tiberius is in the same situation, really, because he's also an adopted... Yeah, yeah and it's yeah. like within the month he sees the star and he's like, wait a minute, turns, <laughs> out, turns out dad's a god now. Who'd have thought? Sky and I am therefore <laughs> and that makes the son me, of God. <laughs> yeah, that makes me Caesar, son of Caesar, the god, yeah. you know? And that's what's on my business card now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and Tiberius <laughs> does the same thing. I mean, Tiberius, um, he often honors all everything he does i like to say to my students is uh comes up in the the saying wwad what would augustus do Mm. and he makes sure that augustus is deified and then he can use that on his coins he's the son of a god as well like it it is definitely a political thing there to be able to say that you're the son of a god (laughs) yeah tiberius is all about um following what has been said he's very much about precedent yes so he's like well augustus did it with his dad I, i i guess i better do it with my dad uh, I think he also, I, I honestly think that Augustus and Tiberius must have had a close relationship by that stage, instead of, instead of, in spite of the ups and downs. Um, they worked together for a really long time. And that last 10 years of Augustus's life in particular, I think they must, like Tiberius must have been taking the lead more and more as Augustus got older and frailer. Um, and he was definitely part of Augustus's inner circle. So I think that he probably also legitimately wanted to do his duty. Like Tiberius is like that. Yeah, yeah. Play the violins, uh, yeah, guys. Yeah, Play the violins. How, how much more are we going to ascribe to his wonderful duty? <laughs> I mean, can we chalk up everything? Because he does... He's very dutiful, you have to admit. But he does have this point where he kind of snaps and he never really recovers from that and everybody starts to die. So let's talk about that. What what <laughs> happened? What happened there? Uh, I'm interested in your theory, Dr. Dr. Okay, Dr. I'm, just, yeah. I'm just double-checking. You're talking about Capri, right? Not Sejanus. Is that what you're talking about? I feel like Sejanus yeah. is part of it. Yeah, no, and he Capri is, yeah. is part of it. Yeah, yeah. But there's kind of this transitional moment where he changes from being somebody who's seeking consensus to mm. somebody who's like, actually, I need to pull down some senators. And then he's very efficient. Oh, okay. Now we're getting ruthless. <laughs> well, I, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. He changes. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I think... I think that he does he does get sick of the situation in Rome. He gets sick of, as you say, that the Senate aren't responding the way he wants them to. And I will admit this, and you're going to have this on tape, so here it comes. Tiberius was not a great communicator. <laughs> I, I admit that. Um, and so he, his lack of charisma, his lack of being able to communicate his thought process clearly, or his wants clearly, has led to this situation with the Senate where it's not great. And I think that Tiberius does get a bit sick of it. He goes away to Capri. I don't think he intended at the time never to return. Um, but whilst he is away there, things start to go down south hard with his own family. Agrippina, 
and her two elder sons, Nero and Drusus, are accused of various things, and that's a little bit hazy because we're missing Tacitus, unfortunately, for this point. And then betrayal of betrayals. I mean, Tiberius's life, as far as I can see, is actually a, a story of loss. He, lo- he steadily loses the people that he loves, which are not many. Um, you know, he loses his brother very early on. He loses his first wife, who he seems to care about. You know, he keeps losing people. Oh, there. And then he's hanging out on roads and he's like, I'd like to come home. I miss my family. And Augustus <laughs> is like, no, stay yeah, there. Exactly. Mm. Um, yeah. So he's, he's, his story is one of loss. And Sejanus has become by this stage, I think, really the person he's obviously dependent upon and that he cares probably most, most deeply wow, for. Wow. This is such a sad story. It is Man a sad without story. any friends makes a friend. Turns out his friend's a killer. Well, yeah, it does. Like his, his friend totally screws him over in the most atrocious way possible. And I think that's what causes him to snap. Like if you can't trust your BFF, who can you trust, Dr. G? Who can you trust? Tiberius doesn't need an empire. He needs a therapist. <laughs> Cam, what's uh, what's your take on the whole Sejanus affair? <laughs> yeah, well, look, it it I'm, I, it reminds me of a little bit about the Piso affair or yeah. piece of shit as we call him. Um, <laughs> like, uh, did Piso take it upon him, or did he have Germanicus murdered? Question one. Question two. If so, did he do it off his own initiative? Or did he, there, there are suggestions uh, in Tacitus in particular that he did it in a conspiracy with Tiberius, but then Tiberius and, and told him he'd get him off. And then Tiberius went, oh, dude, you're on your own. I, I don't know what's going on here. What? Who? Piso? What? Never heard of you. Um, Throws him right and, under the bus. And then he fell on his sword. He, he uh, shot himself twice in the back of the head while he was handcuffed in the back of the black and white uh, in the middle of the night. Um, so, I mean, on what, you know, I read the Sejanus story, then I'm like, hmm. You know, did Tiberius plot this? Listen, I'm going away for a while. (laughs) I really hope nothing bad happens to these people that I don't really like, like Agrippina, who quite frankly is another one of these mouthy women getting around Rome who thinks because she's the daughter of Agrippa, the revered Agrippa, that she can just walk around and accuse me of having her husband assassinated, um, who was supposed to be the rightful heir to the throne. Does he just plot with Sejanus and then throw Sejanus under the bus like he did with Piso? No, no, no. <laughs> That's a firm no. <laughs> no, I, I think Germanicus actually died of natural causes. I think he got sick and died. Um, and because things weren't particularly rosy um, with his relationship with Tiberius, uh, the suspicion was allowed to, to creep up because Piso fell on his sword for a very good reason. He had actually done the wrong thing. Uh, regardless of what happened with, between him and Germanicus on a personal level, um, he does try and take back his province by force, which means he he was in trouble. He was in trouble no matter what. Tiberius couldn't deny that he had but done that. He wouldn't have done that without getting the go-ahead from Tiberius first, uh, surely. I, I, I don't know. I, surely. I, I, do, I don't know. I agree Tiberius t- can't get anybody to agree to do anything, <laughs> you know? I mean, I'd say... Pisa might be striking out on his own as an ambitious sort, being like, Tiberius is not long for this world either. Let's face it, he can't run a place. Yeah, look, I, I think Tiberius obviously did send Pisa there to keep an eye on Germanicus, who, let's face it, could be a bit of a 
uh, a theatrical person. <laughs> I think Germanicus has the charisma that Tiberius mm. lacks. He does. And that's the issue. But sometimes too much so. I mean, God, when he's handling the mutinies, he's like, oh, I'm so ashamed. I should fall on my own sword. <laughs> and he doesn't count on the fact that the soldiers are going to say, here, take this, it's sharper. What's he supposed to do then? <laughs> Gentlemen, you called my bluff. Um, yeah. Oh, oh dear. My pregnant wife. Have you all seen my pregnant wife? And and my son, who's in his tiny little uniform. I couldn't oh. possibly. That would be such yeah. a Okay, I will send them off to be raised by barbarians then. <laughs> oh, the shame of it all. Exactly. Germanicus yeah. is kind of theatrical. And so I think he sends Peter along as being, you know, old school. Um, and, and to keep yeah. an eye on Germanicus. But I don't think that means that they conspired to kill Germanicus. I actually think Tiberius wanted Germanicus to live. He's doing everything. Everything he's doing for Germanicus and Drusus is exactly what Augustus had done for him. He was quite clearly setting them up to be his successors. And I actually think that he might have stepped down and allowed them to take over if they had lived. Speculation. We can't give oh, him I'm sorry. credit for what? things that he doesn't do. Okay, I'm hang sorry, on. Your Honor. I'd like to strike that from the record. <laughs> when, when Agrippina gets back to Rome... Uh, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, tears and uh, mournful welcomes from Tiberius or Livia. No, she gets back style. and they're like, yeah. he's what? That's not his style. <laughs> Classic oh, Tiberius, oh, not reading the he's people. He's a stoic. He's a stoic. <laughs> he does yeah. it. He has low EQ. He's Queen Elizabeth yeah. II, all right? This is Diana all over again. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know psychopaths. Yeah. I just, I've <laughs> and you know, just written a, I've just written a book called The Psychopath Economy, which I is know, about I'm how so psychopaths run the world, that. right? Um, no, but listen, you, you can be a stoic and still say, listen, I need to be seen to be doing the right thing here. Uh, but he didn't even go to that effort again, if we believe Tacitus. Yeah, look, admittedly, I think I, th I think the where Tiberius drops the ball consistently, and again, I will say this, I will admit this. He's terrible with PR. He really needed a PR person on his side. He he does not. I mean, he, he doesn't. It's good that he's not a spend. You know, he doesn't spend money recklessly. But he was probably a little too careful with money. He didn't put on enough shows. He didn't use coins and buildings and that sort of thing to his advantage. And he didn't use these opportunities that arose during his reign to connect with people. I totally admit that. But I, I see that as part of his personality. It is unfortunate, but I don't think it necessarily makes him. Personally, I don't think it makes him a terrible emperor because I think he was doing the right thing. He just wasn't showing the people the kind of emotion that they always wanted to see. But this see. is an important difference. And mm. so I'm wondering what your speculation might be about it. Because mm. if Tiberius, as you say, is positioning himself always in the model of Augustus, why doesn't he embark on a building program? Uh, why doesn't he work on his iconography and things like this? I mean, they're important mm. details that Augustus consistently well, is working on. He does. On. He does have a. He does have a, a perspective. Like he does have his own coins and that kind of stuff that he focuses on. But he tends to use them. And this is what I mean. He, he's not about the show. He, in that way, I don't think he can be like Augustus because it's just not in his nature to be. He's not about the show, and so he tends to use it to emphasize the people that he wants to promote like Drusus and, and his connection with Augustus and the kinds of building projects that he does, he finishes Augustus's program. Like he's, he's doing... He's, oh, yeah, he's yeah. working on some stuff, but yeah. never, nothing ever really gets properly finished. <laughs> What? He did build oh. his temple to Castor and Pollux earlier, though. Damn didn't straight. He? That was, <laughs> was, I think Augustus was still around. But getting, I want to get back to this this theory that what broke Thibault was losing everyone he cared about. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it, but 
that was kind of the reality of life back then for everybody. Augustus lost everybody he cared about as well. Every time he <laughs> he had a succession plan, you know, the kids would get to 16, 20, and they'd be dead. And then he'd be like, oh, like now I've got to find some more kids somewhere. And he'd <laughs> go around to the orphanages and look for strappy young lads and do a daddy warbucks on them. No, I mean, I, but I, it I, didn't. It didn't send him over the edge. He didn't go and build a sex dungeon and go, fuck it all, I'm out of here. Well, he did, he, he did have a house of virgins, so, you know. <laughs> that doesn't sound like as much fun as a sex dungeon. No, no, no look, I think, I think no. the thing is, and this again comes down to the essential difference between the personality of Augustus and Tiberius. I think that Tiberius being a much more introspective person, I don't think he... I don't think he had as many people that he really let in. And I don't think, I don't mean to say that, you know, the second his brother was dead, Tiberius's life was over and ruined. I just mean that I think because Tiberius only let a few people in in his life, that by the time it gets to, you know, his old age when he's, you know, pretty much alone and um, and kind of sick of sick of the lack of success he's had with the Senate in terms of getting the working relationship that he wants. He's he is a bit old and cr- cranky by the end of his life. And then I think Sajana sort of tips him over to over the edge because it is a pretty massive betrayal. Augustus never has to go through a betrayal like that. You have to admit. Yeah. yeah. And, and how much do you think the death of Drusus, uh, his son, Drusus, not his brother, Drusus, has to play in this. I mean, you know, traditionally that is is given as the trigger for him to just start giving up hope um, and walking away from it all. Well, if you want to jump in with with Suetonius, um, apparently he didn't even love his natural child. Oh, that's such bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Because Drusus was somewhat wild and careless in his manner of living. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I I think that that's just Suetonius gossip, (laughs) as usual. Suetonius, as we know, is the Who's magazine of the ancient world. Um, (laughs) uh, No, I, I think that... I think actually the thing that really hit him hard, I mean, yes, obviously losing Germanicus and Drusus in such a short time kind of been easy, especially since he was probably hoping that they were, you know, going to shoulder some of the burden and then they disappear and all he's got left are these kids that are way too young to really do anything useful. can't really send them out on campaign. No, they're not doing anything (laughs) useful. Um, And he's left to deal with Agrippina, which is just dandy. Um, But, I, yeah, I think that it's more when he finds out how Drusus apparently died, which doesn't happen until the break with Sejanus. I think that's what gets him. Like the, the idea that his own son was murdered by this man that he trusted um, and, and uh, you know, in conspiracy with a family member on top of that, um, mm. you know, I, I think that has got to hurt. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So you, you, you would say that that helped uh, send him over the edge. And then he really doesn't do much to ensure the succession afterwards. No, I mean, the, like Gaius is, he does, he does in the setup to Sejanus's uh, fall, I mean, he's pretty crafty with Sejanus, you have to admit. Um, he he has him summoned to the Senate and it, in such a way that Sejanus is like, ooh, I'm going to be given I'm some gonna special power. Yeah, I'm going to be given mm-hmm. tribunician power and this is going to be the sign that I'm going to, you know, have a role, like a real succession role sort of thing. I'm part of the family. This is great. This is great. Uh, he's Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. He thinks he's going to be made exactly. a man. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And he shows yeah. up and instead is denounced on the spot, arrested and executed within a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he sets it all up pretty carefully. And when he knows this is all going to happen, he summons Caligula to him to keep, I think, to keep him safe. So I, 
I think he is in a sense, and he, and he does make sure that Caligula um, has a quaestorship, and he is also um, made. He is given a priesthood, as is um, his other grandson, Tiberius Gemellus. But I think, I think he did drop the ball, and that I think he probably should have done more given his age. But then again, Augustus and Livia had both lived to be so old. He might have thought he had a few more years in him than he actually did. I mean, even when he started to get sick towards the end, he still was trying to be pretty physical and ma- maintain his old routines. He basically tried to maintain his old routine until he collapsed. Um, because... He should have uh, paid attention to his own fa- biological father's side of the family because uh, hey. real, real dad didn't last. Oh, but he was, he was pretty old. Well, he, but he died. Well, okay, I'm, I'm sorry. Is that a flaw? But Tiberius <laughs> was. Saying, Tiberius is Tiberius only like two was, or so, you know, like Tiberius he, was eighty. Yeah, he did pretty well. <laughs> like he was pretty. He was even older than like Augustus was seventy-four when he died. This guy was eighty. Like that. That's crazy. Yeah, but Livia, Livia lived into her eighties. Like he might, he might have thought he had a couple more years. But I, I agree, he could have done. He should have probably done more. But he was still, he was still taking steps that indicate that they were, you know, that they were going to be his successors. And he he writes in his will that they're both going to be his successors. So I mean, he wasn't completely checked out. Um, and he's still, to be honest, he's still involved in in foreign policy and that sort of stuff. Some of the stuff that he does towards the end of his reign, like Caligula often gets credit for, but he settles things in Parthia and Armenia really quite nicely. So he's not completely out of it. Thank you. Yes, that's right. Sorry, Dr. G is giving me a face like, like he didn't do that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're coming up on an hour. I, I feel like I, uh, I haven't really solved the issue here. I, 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 <laughs> How sorry, do you solve I, a problem like Tiberius? Uh, <laughs> I, oh, Thibaut. Yeah. He'll never be I, resolved, I don't think. <laughs> I have to say that it's uh, been a lot of fun uh, talking to you. The couple of words that I got in anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Is it why you don't have women on your podcast? <laughs> no, I, I, I think I'm going to fire Ray and just invite the two of you to come on my show every week because uh, it's a lot of fun. Excellent. Well, um, so uh, for my listeners, uh, if they're not already listening to your show, where do they find your show? Oh, well, you can find The Partial Historians just about anywhere where you find good podcasts. We're on iTunes. And bad ones too, like ours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. You know, I, I didn't say ours was good. Um, <laughs> Spotify, we're all over the place. Um, just doing a search for the Partial Historians will bring us up just about anywhere, I think. And uh, I believe you can do a number of podcasts. Where can our listeners find your various projects? Oh, well, yes, the thepodcastnetwork.com is where we list all of our shows we do apart from Tiberius we're doing one on uh, the Cold War we're doing one on the Renaissance we did do one a long one on Alexander the Great we did Julius and Augustus before we got to Tiberius I did one on Napoleon for many years we do one called the Bullshit Filter where we do contemporary news stories and pick them apart for bullshit Um, we just did three hours on uh, the soft coup going on in Venezuela for people that are interested in more contemporary stuff uh, but yeah over at the podcastnetwork.com you'll find all of uh, links to all of our things Excellent. fantastic thank you so much for having us it's been a real pleasure oh yeah a lot of fun um and let's do it again sometime absolutely <laughs> caligula i'm sure is gonna you know really send us <laughs> into meltdown you seen nothing yet yeah sex dungeons are nothing for caligula <laughs> Yeah, well, I can't wait. Yeah, so when we do, when we get into Caligula, we'll have you back on. Excellent. We can, we can do that. It's a day. Wonderful. <laughs> Thanks. Enjoy the rest of your night. You, you too. too. Bye. Bye.